Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You're listening to Achtung Law, broadcasting from the beautiful South Berlin, except no subject. Hello dear listeners, welcome to a midweek edition, a midweek chat edition of Akdung Millwall, ahead of Sunday's visit to, to Coventry City. Joining me to chew over the uh, the ups and downs of the season so far is a welcome return, an, an old face, he's back. Welcome back to the Fizz. How are you doing, Neil? Not too bad, not too bad. Uh, been quite a minute, hasn't it, since I... Th- since our last pre Christmas, uh, pre Christmas, mate. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, you've been a busy man, author of a number one selling um, book on on English rugby. I'm just looking at it. Who the who's who of English rugby? It's been very successful so far, Neil. Uh, it's not done too badly. Could have done a lot better, but it could have done a lot worse. So you just put these things out there, don't you? We wrote it a long time ago, so updated it, improved it and get it on sale. It's not going to earn money on your laptop, is it? Absolutely. Uh, no, <laughs> that's, that's a good way to put it. Just for listeners wondering what I'm talking about, it's, uh, Neil, Neil was obviously, a, 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 shall we say, a leading rugby union, or the leading rugby union journalist. Um, Neil, Neil, Neil can tell me afterwards whether that's a or the. Um, this is a, a who's who of English rugby. Every uh, player has played for the English National Rugby Union side since records began. It's available for nineteen ninety nine. I'm looking at victorpublishing.co.uk. I'd imagine you can get it off of Amazon as well, but certainly victorpublishing.co.uk is is the the site I'm looking at here. Um, and it's a list of um, players who've played for the uh, the white shirt of England over the over the years. If rugby union's your sport, um, it's got to be. It's a must have, really. And you're also now Neil working for another website, Rugby Pass. I've noticed. I keep track of you online. Rugby Pass. That's a that's a that's a major name in the in the scene at the moment. Yeah, uh, got headhunted. Uh, headhunted listeners. I had, I had, and the other he wasn't lost on me when I was uh, when I was completing my own transfer forms because I had to fill in forms. <laughs> I'm in about forty years. I've had to actually fill a form in. Yeah. Uh, uh, I was completely lost and had no <laughs> idea what, what I band numbers were because I get paid from abroad. Right. And, uh, and uh, I had to transfer deadline day on in the background. That, well, I had to sign this bit of paper to put on this form because you can't sign a 
a Word document, can you? So you have to sign no, it. No, no. Take a picture of it, drop it in. It was unbelievable. And I was watching uh, amongst hope that Millwall would sign somebody, but there was only one Millwall transfer done on deadline day, and that was me. <laughs> There we are. wasn't wasn't the transfer we were all expecting, but there we are. So yeah, rugby pass listeners. If rugby uni is your sport, do they're on they're on Twitter. Neil's you can find Neil Neil Fissler on uh, X Twitter, whatever you want to call it. Um, but we join each other today, Neil, to talk about the Millwall situation. Um, we're away to Coventry City, a TV game, Sky Television game, Sunday noon kickoff, unearthly hour that it is. Um, but also, just to slightly, have a, we haven't spoken for a while, so it would just be nice to have a bit of a review of the of the Joe Edwards situation. A lot of um, controversy online at the moment. Obviously, form has not been brilliant. Let's let's um, let's not beat around the bush. This is a results driven business at the end of the day. And if we include the cup game um, against Middlesbrough, Joe's just won four matches since he took over back against uh, Sheffield Wednesday, which was back in October, wasn't it? Um, drawn four and lost eight. Um, so difficult situation. Now we've also had a, a really nice voice note in from Glyn, the Glyn Horner, which I think probably summarises the situation quite neatly. So let's cut to, to Glyn's voice note. Now we'll come back to Neil straight afterwards. Achtung, Milbal. Hi, Nick. Glenn here. So this is my first time calling in. Thanks for sending me your details, and uh, hopefully this comes through clear. I really just wanted to make a few sort of general points at this point. Um, I think, first of all, let's talk about Joe Edwards. Joe, Joe Edwards is attempting to do something at Millwall that several managers have tried in the past. I even remember Holloway talking about trying to build up a more expansive style of football. But of course, um, I think a lot of his words were, were, were quite hollow and not really backed up with actions or signings. Whereas I think with um, Joe Edwards, you can see that he's he's definitely got a plan and he's trying to make the changes. And he's, I think, although they're not necessarily all good enough, I think all of our players are improving under Edwards. There's just unfortunately too many weaknesses in their um, in their arsenal, really, of skills that they they just make too many mistakes on a regular basis. So there there is a need for a clear out, and I think um, the contractual situation may see that uh, happen in this summer. So I think the fans have, have recognised that, and you you sense that Edwards is getting a much more leeway than other new managers would have gotten in the past. And um, if he can just get through to the end of the season, I'd take full from bottom. Uh, and then rebuild the squad in the summer, then, you know, I'm, I'm very excited about next season. And I do still think he was the right signing. Uh, next point is left-backs. For me, Joe Bryan is a very, you know, good player on his day. But unfortunately, he's he's too often not on his day. And, and, and there are just too many rickets in his game um, on, a, on a quite a consistent basis, actually. So when he's costing us a goal on a regular basis... Um, I, I honestly don't think he's a better option than Wallace at the moment. Now, Wallace is a limited player, but Wallace, in my view, once he gets over that first hump of a couple of games being dropped back into the team, he makes fewer and fewer mistakes. You will always come across a team every five or six games that, that has a player that will rip um, Wallace to shreds. And unfortunately, that's just the way it is. And Joe Edwards will have to set up his team to try and deal with that and, and maybe provide Wallace with extra support. Um, you, you can't expect Wallace to go up against the top um, championship right wing backs or wingers and and, and um, 
keep them under control. It just won't happen. So um, we really need better players at left back position and, and, and players that will, will, you know, serve Joe Edwards's style of play going into the future. Incidentally, I think Wallace will make, um, go back to his original position, which will go back to centre-back. And I think he could be a very good centre-back because he can carry the ball and he is capable of making passes. And maybe as a, a ball-carrying centre-back, he, he has a future at the club, but but certainly not as a left-back. And then final point I wanted to make was, was around Sarkic. I, I, I used to play in goal. And, and the truth is you get good at goal and you make fewer and fewer bad decisions, the more experienced you are. Uh, Mateo Sarkic is a young man. He's a young goalkeeper. There will always, always be mistakes in young keepers. It's just the way it is. And generally speaking, I think up until quite recently, he's had a run of games where he's actually pulled off some very important saves and been pretty secure at the back. So... I think he's still got huge potential. I think he is potentially, you know, our best keeper at the club at the moment. For me, um, Bielkowski is, uh, he, he's just a bit too slow now, I think, uh, to, to be a sort of top-level championship um, goalkeeper. So we should stick with him. And I'm afraid we're just going to have to accept that every now and then there will be a mistake. But in, in, in a season from now, I think we'll have a keeper with a lot more games under his belt. Uh, and a lot more sort of mental toughness and he'll, and he'll be making better decisions. Anyway, that's it from me for now. I hope that's um, uh, helpful. And um, yeah, hopefully uh, I'll, I'll call in with more uh, comments in the future. But all the best, mate, and um, keep up the good work. Love the show. Cheers. Achtung, Mailball. Big thank you, Glyn, for that. That's, that was a nicely put summary, I think, of the of the situation. Um Neil, the Joe Edwards revolution is, is finding it tough going at the moment, mate, isn't it? Um, personally, personally, I think it's the right way to try and take us. How do you see matters at the moment? The Joe Edwards, uh, you know, a lot, lot of talk online now as to whether he's a right move or not as a manager, head coach. Yeah, let's be honest. Let's be frank. Let's not beat around the bush. Yeah. Most of the people online have got the football knowledge of a half-eaten Mars bar. <laughs> That's not much. <laughs> exactly. To be questioning a guy who's been parachuted in, uh, it's it's the Millwall way. It always has to be half glass empty, doesn't it? Rather than glass half full. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, massive, massive, massive changes in this transfer window. A, it costs too much money. B, clubs are highly unlikely to want to let a lot of players go. And B, you've got the spectre of financial fair play looking over your shoulder. I thought it was a good window for us, actually. We needed a defender, and we he did. in the lad from Tottenham. Uh, we needed another option up front, so we brought in the lad from Burnley. Overfemi. Yeah, yep, Overfemi. And uh, he's bought, and they've brought in a highly rated young player. Who we've yet to see, and I'm intrigued to see this, this uh, Adam Adam Mayor, Mayor, I don't know how you pronounce Mayer. his surname, Mayor. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'd agree. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know what people expect. Sometimes he, there is a, a transformation that's that's 
not even halfway through yet. We've, we've barely scratched the surface on how far we need to try and change the the, the way that we're playing. Now, whether um, whether that can be done whilst we survive in the in the championship is probably the the big question. I had this um, odd reply. I, I don't get many celebrity replies, Neil, to my my, my tweets. Um, I was, I've been trying to get Susanna Hoff, sex of the bagel, bangles, to not the bagels, the bangles, to uh, reply to me. She she doesn't she doesn't give me the time of day. But Danny Baker was less less exciting for me. Um, replied back that relegation is not a big deal for. Um, he's, he's seen I don't know how many as many relegations as as you and me. I, I dare say. Um, and you come back from as you put it. Um, I don't buy that. I, I don't think that we in this modern era where money is so. Um, you know, at the heart of football nowadays, that relegation to League One can be any kind of good news. So, for me at the moment, I, I'm, I like and endorse and support what Joe Edwards is trying to do, but there's also a survival thing that's got to be done at the same time, isn't there? Yeah, uh, I think there's quite a disparaging that kicks in next season, isn't there, between what's available to Championship club and clubs and what's available to League One. Right. Yeah. I think we've shown enough that we will stay up. We should. Yeah, yeah we should. I agree. Yeah, but um, I think well, yeah, but that's there are enough points between us on the bottom of the table. Yeah, yeah I we, mean there's there's clubs between us. There's 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 um you know there, there's we should not go down. I mean that, but then we have said that at various points in our, our history but Seven and eight points between us and third bottom. Yeah, yeah, and there's clubs. There's also bodies between us and the bottom three. So, exactly. you know, there is there is no there is no valid reason as to why we should go down. I, I personally, I'm going to be really interested to to see how this Boyd Mayor Mayor performs because for me, chance creation lies at the heart of where we've not been getting it right. I'm just looking at the full recent form. One win. Uh, that was Bristol City at the start of the month. Um, after that, that was the third of the three wins that took some of the pressure off of our league position. And then since then, it's been pretty much um, uh, one, well, one draw against Preston, and that's been it. It's been the defeats. Um, a lot of self-created errors, defensive errors, which is an issue that's got to be dealt with. I'm hoping that that can be worked upon, and we can, you know, get away from this kind of uh, self-destructiveness that I think has bedeviled us all, all season. Um, but we've got to start scoring some goals, and that can that can only be done by creating the chances that hopefully our, our, our strike force, which is now going to be Tom Bradshaw and Michael Obafemi, can at least get on the end of a couple of times and give us cushions to to get in front in games. It's going to be a big couple of games ahead of us: Coventry, Ipswich, and then Sheffield Wednesday, which is looking a big game uh, mid Feb, and then a trip to Southampton. So some big games there. Um, so it's a kind of a I don't know about the turning point. I don't want to over-dramatise it, Neil, but it's it, it feels like a big situation at the moment because we don't want to get drawn into a relegation dogfight. I don't. I don't feel. I don't think we've got the squad for it. No, but I think you're hundred percent right. Our problems, a lot of our problems, are self-inflicted. Yeah. Look at that goal we gifted Preston. Yep. A couple of weeks ago. Yep. And then you look at the goal that we gave away at the weekend. Whole city, yeah. Yeah, yeah imminent. Those are avoidable. Uh, experienced players as well. The Tottenham lad, Dordalden. Yeah, yeah. 
misplaced pass, and then was it Joe Bryant last weekend? Uh, it was it was it was Wes Wes Harding with a, a poor oh, weak header straight into the feet of the yes. of the whole yeah. forward. Um, there was that absolutely blockbuster shot. Yeah, wasn't there? and then it came back off the bar, and we were slow to react. We can we can all say that Joe Edwards hasn't got. Any it hasn't got enough out of these players, but these are the same players, largely, that didn't give a toss when Gary Rowett was in charge. No, 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 no. I agree. Into this mess, and I don't think they're good enough to kick on. They've shown that they're not good enough at this level. I think that we have to get through to the end of the season by hook or by crook. Yep. We have to get through until the end of this season. And, uh, it's then, then it is a real case of us basically rebuilding this summer. There's an interesting, um, tweet here from JP making that point actually, Neil, um, he mentions here, Sean Hutchinson, Tom Bradshaw, Jules Saville, Ryan Leonard, Bart Bielkowski, Connor Truman, who's less, lesser light, one of the reserve keeper, isn't he? All out of contract in the summer. I haven't checked that, so I'm taking this as correct info. Um, he says none should be renewed. Love them all, but they're either too slow, too old, or too injury prone. Some are all free. Um, whether you'd axe all of those names or a good chunk of them, I, I think there's a case, if you're going to rebuild, the time to start doing that is the summertime, and it probably does require a fairly radical approach and that will mean some of our darlings of the past having to be moved along I mean I love Ryan Leonard but as somebody made the point the other day online you know if, if the player is really available which is unfortunately the truth of it you need players that are fitter um, and less liable to to go down with injury as unfortunately some of these aging players and that includes now Sean Hutchinson as well as another player that gets injured quite a lot and um, you're not, they're not available, so they're no use to you in that situation. 100% correct. Uh, I think I was probably in the mon- I think I was probably in a minority. I would have got rid of Ryan Leonard last summer. I think his his injury record is appalling. Mm. When he when he plays, he generally is sparkling. He's a great player. Oh, yeah, it's crucial player, but it's staying fit, Neil. On- but we can't get the required number of games out of him. We can't afford to have a big squad. So you have to look, is that money best off freed up and used elsewhere? And I think it probably is. And it's the same as Sean Hutchinson, been a fantastic servant to our club. Yeah. But we have to move on. But I think Bart will probably retire at the end of the season anyway. But again, that's he's not going to be on peanuts. He's going to be on a decent wage. Yep. So we have to move him on. Uh, we can't. It's yeah. We've spoken about it many, many, many times. We have an undying loyalty, the sentimentality at Millwall. I agree. Yeah. Amongst the fan base, the. Yeah. We we have a habit of hanging on to these players for a little bit too long. We're not clinical enough. No. 
we need to be more ruthless. We need to say, right, this player, he's on the wrong side now. We ship him out. Thank you very much for everything you've done. Yeah. Now, goodbye. Absolutely. It's, yeah. it's, 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 it runs in the DNA of the Millwall fan. I, I include myself. Summer is the ideal chance because we've got we've got players out of contract and then there are other players. Of course, it depends on how much they're willing to spend because it isn't going to be cheap. No, no. That's going to be a, that's going to be another another issue to be to be tackled. Um, I, I mean, the, re- the bullet. We have reply, to reply here from James Gibbons um, talking about the, some of these um, online experts that we're, <laughs> we're so fond of on this show. Um, is it the, he says the club have made a brave move by going for a young progressive coach in Joe Edwards, and a certain contingent online think he should be sacked. We aren't in the top six yet. They're clueless. Long term success takes time to build and trumps short-term success any day. I mean, I, I have to agree with James because this is a, this is a you know, we, we jokingly call it a project and a revolution being a bit um, facetious and, at times, but this will take a few transfer windows. Certainly this forthcoming summertime is a big one. That's going to be where we really start to see the shape of things to come because at the moment, um, I mean, you've, you've, you've made the point and you're correct that the, the current squad is the one that, Got so close to the playoffs last time and collapsed under the heat of the of the pressure of the situation. They've shown themselves. Uh, even people talking nostalgia about Gary Rowett and forgetting that we've seen some pony performance. I'm just looking at the list this season: three one at Norwich when the crowd's singing for Gary Rowett's heads, and then suddenly people get sentimental online because currently we're, we're having a bit of a struggle. But I like the I like the I like the way that the at its best, Joe Edwards football is something I would pay to go and watch. You know, I'd, tra- I'd travel to watch it because it's going to be dynamic. Yeah, but the, yeah, the football is good. You, you can, or, yeah, it's not good, but it's an improvement. It's watchable. Under Rabbit, it was awful, wasn't it? Um, but it's like... It was awful. It was, it was dire. Um, and people forget very, very quickly. Um, I, I accept that form recently has been poor and... I do worry a little bit, as I put it online the other day, that we're asking, you know, journeymen to create works of art, you know, and maybe some are just not going to be up to this level. And you can talk about one player over another. But um, I do think that we need to restock our squad, you know, in, in, hopefully with survival in the championship will give us the base to restock it over the summertime with players able to play, play this pacey, high skill, but pacey football style, which... You have keeps... a look, Nick. You have a look. When Harris left mm. and Rowett took over, you had the you had the Harris fanatics. Yeah, yeah. The yeah the Neil Harris evangelists. <laughs> yeah, Harris the strange cult. <laughs> yeah, basically they are. They're like a bloody. They're like a cult. Are <laughs> yeah. you getting the same thing now with Gary Rowett? Not to the same extent. No, no. But some people just struggle to compute that it was time to move on. The football, everybody was moaning about how dire the football was. They were. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think Phil Clark 
put something online the other day about the comparisons between the two, uh, between Edwards and Rabbit, and there's no, yeah, there's nothing between them basically. But I don't think Rabbit would have done any better, to be quite honest. In fact, we'd have probably been slightly worse off because the players just weren't playing. No, no. Um, for me, for me, listeners, purely my opinion, um, and I accept that we've watched some poor performances recently. You know, I was at QPR, and you know, like many others, and we all saw the, the performance against uh, after the, the 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 first half an hour of Middlesbrough. We saw how it fell apart. So you know, I'm not blind to that. But what I do like, Neil, is that under Gary Rowett, there was no hope of really things changing or improving. What you were getting would be hopefully maybe a a slightly more efficient version of a fairly dreary style of football. I mean, an evidence for that, I'm just going to quote getting beat by Reading's um, under-23 side in the League Cup. Now, we got pounded 4-0 at home by a fairly experienced middle side. There was no spirit, no drive, no verve. At least with Joe Edwards, you're offered a, a... a glimmer of hope that things were going to be can be played with more ambition and more flair, and you know I I, I I I'm always going to balance it with the fact that we do need to survive in the in the championship. I don't, I don't accept the relegation as a good thing. I mean, some people fall into this um, cliche now that some it's some kind of cleansing. You clear out all the old dross and start again, and you know and come back successful. I, I've never really believed in that. I don't know. Um, I don't know if you if you how you see it. There are a lot of clubs that have gone down to League One who think, oh, well, this will be all right. We'll come down for a year. Yeah. And we'll come back. No, it doesn't work like that. You ask Portsmouth. You ask Bolton. Yeah. Ask or get, get on the bus and go, or the train probably, go down to Cholton um, because they're still languishing and they, they'll be lucky to survive. I know they've just brought in Nathan Jones. If they survive in that division, that's going to be his priority. Survival in League One. So, Portsmouth, Pompey, Bolton. Um, there's there's been a few sides that have fallen into the. Yeah, Lipswich took a long time to get out of that division. Plymouth yeah. went down and down, and then they came back up again. But it's not it's not an easy division to get out of. It's a um, destructive division. I mean, look at Sheffield Wednesday. We're going to go back to it very shortly. They, they don't look like they're going to get out of the bottom three. That's a massive club, Neil. I mean, they they languished in the in the third in the league league one third division. I keep going to call it, um, and it looks like they're going to be back there again fairly soon. So it, it's it's a destructive. It saps your, your your life force out of you. So anyone that thinks getting relegation uh, being relegated is going to be some kind of cleansing process is uh, is mistaken in my opinion. But uh, anyway, Danny Baker believes in it. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> take, it, take it from there. Um, we just have to get through till the end of the season. By yeah. hook and crook, we need enough points to finish fourth bottom. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, and we'll do it. We will do it because I'll, yeah, well, I'll only start to get worried if Sheffield Wednesday come down in a couple of weeks and handles our backsides, well, then that will be a worry, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's when we worry because they are undoubtedly the worst team in this division. Achtung, Mailball. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Welcome back, dear listeners. Um, Neil, we do love to look at a fixture from the past, you and me, and I, I like to try and tie it in with the forthcoming away game. So I've dug out a trip to Coventry City, to Highfield Road, in actual fact, 1957, 23rd of November, 1957. And it's a good win for the Lions. Millwall 4, uh, Coventry City 1, Millwall 4. Um an interesting season, actually, because this was the last season of the old third division south and third division north system. So the, um, the 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 league tables, which we didn't have a great great season this year. In fact, we finished in the bottom two this season. But the league tables had a dividing line halfway through, because that would form up the new division four, league two in modern money. So it was an interesting se- season, but it was a good win, but a rare bright spot in this. Well, it was quite a tough season, fifty seven, fifty eight. Yeah, you look at it and the side wasn't a great side, was it really? You had Ronnie Heckman, who was a England yeah. amateur international. Yeah. John Shepard was a decent goal scorer. Uh, obviously, Alex Jardine was a great servant to the club. But you've got... It, 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 it's just one of those seasons. It's just, funnily enough, there's, there's a few parallels between this season. Yeah. I, I think if you look at it... it yeah, it was a very average side, or less than average, below results. average. We were capable of good results, but then but then again, back then, everybody beat everybody at least a couple of times a season, didn't they? And just two points for a win, which um, didn't give you much. You know, string a few results together now, you can be... Boosting up the table reasonably quickly, but back then it was probably more of a more of a, a, a trudge. I've got a, a report from the game here. This is from the Sunday People of the, the People, Sunday, twenty fourth of November, nineteen fifty seven. 
Um, all too easy for Millwall is the headline. Um, no, no byline for this. It's just uh, the, the report on the, in the sports pages. Um, Coventry won Mill for Mill terrific. Not quite. Coventry defenders gave him a lot of unintended help. Skipper Frank Austin too. Um, Austin being uh, the, the uh, Coventry captain. Austin badly miskicked to give Johnny Roach a gift goal. Only 12 minutes later, the unlucky Austin diverted a harmless shot from Gordon Pulley past his own goalkeeper, Graham Spratt, for Mill's second. So he's having a mare there, that guy, Frank Austin. Um, then 17-year-old Vic Walters made his league debut at left-back for Coventry, um, making his league, league debut at left-back for Coventry, almost put for his own goal, an acrobatic leap by Spratt in the Coventry goal, saving it. Angus Morrison uh, headed a smart third for Mill soon after half-time. Um, Coventry attacked spiritedly. That's a good word. I'm going to use that on my match reports, listeners. Spiritedly. But the... Ball would not run for them. Johnny Jimmy Knox wasted two good chances, which might have turned the game the way before Mills scored a fourth. Um, Coventry's new leader from Derby County, Ray Straw, got poor service. Coventry's defenders were shaky all through. Repeatedly caught out of position by Mills' quick and accurate rushes. Jim Rogers snapped up a goal for Coventry in the 48th minute. Um, pulley unmarked, restored Mills' free goal margin from Angus Morrison's cross. So it finished 4-1. Um... The result that left Millwall at this point in this in the table, uh, Millwall two, four, six, eight, tenth from bottom, but, uh, just above Crystal Palace. But we would finish that season nil in the bottom two, seeking re-election under the old system, and would certainly form part of the new Division Four, um, which would be fifty-eight, fifty-nine, um, as being you know certainly very much part of the bottom half of the third division south. Uh, Sounds like twenty-three, twenty-four Millwall. <laughs> <laughs> it does, doesn't it? <laughs> Ray Straw and Shaky at the back. And that was Coventry back then. Christ yeah, Absolutely. Right. Top of the table and promoted, just the champions promoted under this system, listeners, was Brighton. Um, second place, Brentford got no reward, just two points behind Brighton, nil. Um, and they stayed in the, the third tier, as it would become. Um, yeah, Brighton, it wasn't like that, would he? Christ Almighty, that would really give him something to moan about. Wouldn't it? Um, wouldn't it? And Plymouth, actually. Plymouth, 58 points on goal average, as the old system had it. Um, 58 points below Brentford, but two points, obviously, behind champions. Brighton. Uh, top scorer for the season, Johnny Shepherd. Johnny Shepherd. There was a book written, I think, was his daughter, I believe his daughter wrote a, a biography of Johnny Shepherd. Yeah, Julie, I think. Julie, I, think. I believe, and I think that's available on online a very um, fine book if anybody's n- never read it it is excellent it, it goes into really what it was like to be a footballer a hard way to make a living in the 1940s 50s and 60s yeah uh, it is a magnificent f it's a magnificent book and I'd highly recommend if I think it's called Into the Lion's Den. Yes, yeah, or In and Out of the Den, or something like that. It's it's yeah. um, the the biography of uh, John Shepherd. Um, and you're right; it, it deals with the realities of life as a professional footballer, which was, you know, uh, obviously, it, it's. I just said it's a it was a hard way of making a living. All, all I think all jobs, working class jobs at that time, were hard ways to make a living. So it's probably less hard than perhaps working in a factory docks or um, you know wherever. 
but um, equally, was, there was no prisoners, uh, no, no quarter was given or taken back then. And I think if you were injured, then it really was not an easy um, way to make a living. Um, I found a book on my shelves, if I look above me. Yeah. It's a book, it's a book called Hands, Feet and Balls by Ray King, who I think was the goalkeeper. He was Port Vale's goalkeeper right. in the 40s and 50s when Port Vale had the so-called Iron Curtain. He he wrote a book, and it's of the similar ilk. It's absolutely superb. It is a real insight into what it was like to be a footballer back then, and it wasn't easy. The no. pack was negligible. Medical care was zero, near enough, you know. Yeah. Uh, minimal. I think probably minimal would be a better way to put it. But it was, you know, it, and and there was little in the way of what we might call um, in the modern football scene is totally different. Money, obviously, but just in the terms of the support given to players, young players, I think there was very little of that back then, as there wasn't in society generally. I think it's probably fair to say. Um, but no, I mean, it's a book that I, I, I have on my list that I want to read at some point because it always looks like a fascinating, fascinating read. Um, the Mill team that day, these, some of these are the players that I've picked out a couple of players that I haven't heard of. I mean, you know, we, we do these shows and I'm, I'm always struck by um, how little you know, actually, and, you know, unless um, unless you, 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 you pay some kind of, um, put some effort in, you don't find out about these these names. And I thought, well... Well, you've read my Millwall Who's. Well, lift it all from your book, Neil. So, you know, the, that's the Millwall Who's Who book. This is an advert for Fistler Incorporated here, but the Millwall Who's Who book is also available yeah. on Victor Publishing, I believe. You can get it on there. .co.uk. Um, let's run through the Mill team from this game. 4-1 winners, we've said. Bill Lloyd in goal. Alex Jardine, I've certainly heard of. John Smith, uh, George Vich, Vetch, Ray Brand. Colin Rawson, Johnny Roach, we've mentioned from the report. John Shepherd, we've just mentioned. Angus Morrison, Ron Heckman, and Gordon Pulley. Now, I've picked out um, Angus Morrison, first of all, Neil. So, again, a name that I hadn't, um, wasn't aware of. So that's that's the point of doing these shows. Um, Angus Morrison, Scottish player, obviously. Um, born in, in a place called Dingwall, 1924. It's played for us 20 times, five goals. A career as this is what I find the, the little stories that are in the book. Neil's book, I love this. He was transferred for a box of cigars during his days in the Scottish Highland League, playing for um, Inverness Caledonians, Royal Air Force, wartime, um, Ross County, um, and then um, via Preston and Derby at Millwall. A box of cigars, there's a, there's a transfer fee. Um, I bet you don't get that on rugby pass nowadays, Neil. Um, but transfer players for boxes of cigars. Mate, I wish I'd got a signing on fee. <laughs> yeah, well, hint, hint, Ian, if you're listening, son. Yeah, is it too late? I'm delivering you huge numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Give him a box of cigars, listeners. Um, yeah, from high, Scottish Highland League football via, um, we've got a Scottish B international cap match with Preston and uh, cost me all 1750 signing on. Uh, coming 200 miles by train in the space of three hours to score in his debut against QPR. Um, he later, and this is the bits I love, he later played for the Ripley Miners Welfare and was a store manager for Rolls-Royce and then worked in the stores of not, not so Engineering. So he went into um, car engineering manufacture, worked after the game. 
you, you can't picture Raheem Sterling doing that, can you? You're working for, um, I don't know, you know, uh, Volkswagen or something in their store, man, store parts management or something, you know. Um, yeah, one or two of our players who would struggle to get us. Right? <laughs> Ron Heckman, you've mentioned already Ron Heckman. I thought it's a name. I don't think we've mentioned it on this show many times, if if at all. And I thought it might be nice just to give a bit of a shout out to, to Ron Heckman, the forward. 104 games for us, 26 goals between 1957 and 1960. Peckham boy. Born in 1929. He died in Bracknell in 1990. Career taking in Leighton Orient, Bromley, Hayes, Crystal Palace, Millwall, obviously, and Dorking. Um, and then, interestingly, coached in Ghana and coached in Kuwait. Um, that's always interesting when you see, you know, slightly unexpected names like that pop up in a player's career. In, in you wouldn't have expected, a, you know, some fairly run-of-the-mill clubs there: Hayes, Bromley, Leighton Orient, Palace, and then off to Dorking, then off to Ghana and Kuwait. It's interesting how how the game can expand a player's world, isn't it? Yeah, I think he was an England amateur international, so he probably knew people. Yeah, was well known around the scene, and I think it's a question of being in the right place at the right time. I think that probably back then, I think I might be right in saying it would have been the early days of when Walter Winterbottom introduced his coaching courses, right, right. and qualified uh, and got people qualified. So you go on those courses, and and yes, you. Yeah, but these developing footballing nations would look to yeah. they'd look to the uh, to the mother of football, wouldn't they? Seen as quite forward thinking. I mean, it sounds strange now when you say this kind of stuff. But Walter Winterbottom was England manager, I suppose, in modern terms for many many years. But he was a forward thinking man, and the idea of coaching in terms of improving a player was seen as quite radical in its in its day. It was, um Sounds very odd now. We live in the, the Joe Edwards era of you know coming in to improve players, whereas back then it was seen as a quite um you know modern modern modernity writ large. You know, um, yeah, never no, fuck around. They, yeah, but if you weren't up to it, they didn't coach you. They just found somebody. You out. <laughs> That's right. Um, Ron Heckman won the F, the FA Amateur Cup with Bromley, nineteen forty nine. Um, arrived at the Den to uh, strengthen up the forward line, but used more midfield. He, Help Palace win promotion to Division Two. In later life, again, more detail that I love, listeners. He worked for Midland Bank in Fred Needle Street um, in the City of London until he passed away um, after suffering a heart attack um, nineteen ninety. So um, I, I, I can add a little bit more to that. Go on, yeah. He was working as a school caretaker. Yep. And uh, in Bracknell, and actually had a heart attack out walking his dogs. Right. Because wow. Um, wow. Since come across the story of his death in a Bracknell newspaper. Lesson uh, being, don't walk your dogs, listeners. Don't walk your dogs. Let them walk themselves. Yeah, but as I say, Nicholas, exercise is bad. <laughs> <laughs> Last one I've dug out here. Um, Bill Bill Lloyd, William Lloyd, um, a goalkeeper. An eccentric goalkeeper, according to Neil Fissler's Millwall Who's Who book, available at victorpublishing.co.uk. 89 games between 1956 and 58. Um, began as a, his career as a centre-forward with Littlemore United um, and then signed professional forms for Michigan League Bromley following departure of Malcolm Finlayson, who's a, who's a big name in, 
in uh, in Millwall, and I believe he went to Wolves, didn't he? Finson win the league championship, Neil, with, with Wolverhampton one. Yeah. Um, he displaced Tony Brewer from the first team, remained a near fixture until losing his place to Sid Morgan uh, in his second season. Um, he later became a landscape gardener in Beckenham, where he settled down. Um, I think he's actually he's he's very close to being our oldest surviving player. I was going to say, yeah, 1934 born. He's still alive, it looks like, according to yeah, this he, info. I think he is still alive. I think he's in the top three. I think, uh, I think Phil Hayes, who played one game for us around about the same time, I think he's our oldest surviving player, unless, uh, unless Chris Bethel's listening or, or somebody, somebody's actually banged, sir. Correct me, but I, but I believe he's in the top three oldest surviving Millwall players. That's fantastic. So there we are, listeners. That's that's a your little bit of preview for um, Sunday's trip to the, for those that are making the trip up to Coventry. Um, well done to you in advance. Um, Twelve o'clock kickoff. I'm going to watch it on TV personally, but uh, well done everybody that's travelling on. But this was a, a fixture win away win for Millwall. 1957, 4-1 over Coventry. Um, we're now going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to cover a listener request, listeners. We do get requests, Neil, and the request that we're going to cover is one from uh, a YouTube comment, Jazz Lion, who asked for some information on the Sunday uh, first Sunday league game ever to be played, which took place in 1974 at the Den. So we'll be back after these messages. Achtung! Millwall. Achtung Millwall works in partnership with PunditGames.co.uk, the number one football trivia game. If you're looking for the perfect present for the football head in your life, then you need the number one football trivia ball game, which is at PunditGames.co.uk. A terrific game. It's uh, basically you answer five questions in a row, all sorts of football genres. Premier League, Football League, International World Cup, you name it, they've got it. And you score a goal against your opponent, you play for however many minutes you like. 90 minutes is traditional in football, and whoever scores the most goals, quite obviously, is the winner. Visit punditgames.co.uk if you're going to buy a copy. Every sale generates a donation towards the Lions Food Hub, which is wonderful. We generate 50 quid at Christmas time for the Lions Food Hub. So you can buy yourself a wonderful pastime for the forthcoming summer's afternoons, lazy, hazy, crazy days of summer, and also make a contribution to the fantastic Lions Food Hub. Visit punditgames.co.uk and why not pick up a copy of Pundit's number one football trivia board game. Walking football at Era of Town. This is a great way to get back into the sport that we all love. Every Friday night at uh, Stanmore Stadium, Bayliss Avenue, between 8 o'clock and 9 o'clock at night. Walking football in partnership with Peabody at Era of Town. A fantastic way to enjoy good company, kick a ball about and enjoy the beautiful game. For more information, visit www.eriftown.com forward slash walking football or just email walkingfootball at eriftown.com every Friday night between 8 o'clock and 9 o'clock at the Stanmore Stadium, SE28, in partnership with Peabody. Achtung, Mehlball. 
Welcome back, listeners. Neil, this is a game I was at. 1974, Sunday football. Um, Mill won, Fulham nil. Sunday, which was an unusual thing back then, 20th of January 1974, in front of 15,340. And I was there. How about that? The first ever uh, Sunday football league game. But not quite the first Sunday match itself, was it? That was played the week before, I believe. Uh yeah, basically, just to fill everybody in, back then, uh, at that time, there was a major dispute between, uh, you, know, you might think it's 2023, 2024. <laughs> there was actually a major dispute between unions, in this case, the coal miners' union, yep. and a very weak conservative government. Yes, led by a man called Edward Heath. Yeah, he was <laughs> to keep inflation under control and uh, ramp wage demands. <laughs> it, 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 it's just absolutely unbelievable that if you look back in history, things don't ever really appear. They say that. History is a circle, and you the, the only thing you learn from history, listeners, you don't learn anything from history. Exactly. Um, yeah, well, but yeah, I, re- I remember this period very, very well, Neil. This is my, I was 14, 13, sorry. Um, and as, as Neil said, there was a miners' strike, um, coal black- beings. Yeah, there were blackouts. Uh, power cuts. You'd sit watching the telly, and then six o'clock at night, the power would go off. Can you imagine kids now? Can you imagine the fruitness of... No internet and no power, and you have to live by candlelight. That's what that's, I see. It sounds Dickensian when you say that. Oh, and when there was power, the TV ended at ten thirty. <laughs> no, no live television, no live football. Then kids, um, it was all uh, you had to go to games. I, do you know? It's, I'm going off on a tangent here now, as we do in these shows. But I've got a theory. I mean, I, I like many of our, our era. Uh, you know, obviously, we've got a, a love of following Millwall in our case, but I think this goes beyond this into other sports, other clubs. People of our era had no choice. If you wanted to see live sport, you had to go there, largely speaking, and physically watch it. There was certainly no football. Um, and I, as a, as a kid, I loved football and still still do, really, but back then more so. So you would alternate. You didn't have the money to go away with Millwall, so you would. I would go to Charlton because that was how you watched football. You know, um, Millwall one week, Charlton the other. Sometimes I might stray over to Crystal Palace. It was hard to get. It's going to be gold piss taking on social. Gold piss taking. I go well. You go go down Charlton. I mean, I I was always a Millwall fan, but if you you weren't going to see, there was no streaming. There was no certainly weren't going to make television very rarely. So if you wanted to watch a game of football and you didn't have the money to go away, which I didn't, I was only 13, you um, toddled along to your nearest football club, which in in my case was Charlton. Actually, it was closer than Millwall in in my case. Um, So you alternate. But that that idea that you go to watch sport is actually quite an alien thing rather than sitting on a screen, which I think is, for many, many kids now, is is the norm. You, you, You follow sport via your tablet, your screen, whatever. The idea of actually physically going to sport is is is, is slightly um, foreign to a lot of lot of youngsters now. I believe um, it wasn't for me. It's always been the thing that I just love to do. So, and it dates really from this kind of era where you know there was minimal <laughs> entertainment to be had on on television. And as Neil said, 
you had power cuts and candlelight often to um, to to keep your excitement going. Yeah, but Kent Walton wasn't it, and he's wrestling on us, and he's wrestling and horse racing and God knows whatever sport world of sport dug out for a Saturday afternoon. Exactly, uh, logging. Logging from America. I remember them having that. I thought, that's a, that was a thin one. People chopping trees down, <laughs> you know, competitive logging. Um, anyway, we stray far from the path. So what happened was there was there were restrictions on use of floodlights, use of power, um, and many, many games had to, midweek games had to kick off early in the afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, Tuesday afternoon. But also there was an experiment with the use of um, Sunday football, Neil. And this was... Millwall had the um, the idea, Mickey Purse, I think, had the idea of kicking off at 11.30 in the morning um, and so becoming the first football league match ever to be played on a Sunday and finding a place in the record books, um, which is kind of, um, kind of insightful by, by Mickey, I thought, in a way, because it does live on, doesn't it? Yeah, but the FA gave the green light at the start of January that year. Yeah. Where they... Basically, they were trying to, yeah, they were trying to get football played without the use of lights, yeah. and it was difficult yeah. on Saturday. Yeah. yeah, so they hit upon the idea of well, let's play games on the Sunday. I think yeah. there was initial reluctance because there was the whole movement of keep Sunday special. Yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I remember as a kid, your paper shop was open for two hours. Three hours on the Sunday morning. Pubs had restricted hours on a Sunday, didn't have to shut early. and Exactly. Um, and you, you charge to get into a football match. As ridiculous as it seemed, uh, I think it was called the Sunday Observation Law or something. It was church-based. The church, it was the remnants of the days when the church really wielded proper power. And it lived on, really, with Sunday um, restricting restrictions on um, shops. So, I mean, I think that's the thing I'd say to any younger listeners, anyone who's not of this era, how different, Neil, Sundays were then. Because I think we've become used to now, Sunday, largely speaking, is you can go and buy whatever you want, apart from the, the fact that the shops close at four or five o'clock on a Sunday afternoon here. But apart from that, it's pretty much you do what you like, get what you like. Back then, it was not so, listeners. Stuff was shut. Sunday was a dead day for the most part. It, and you certainly couldn't play professional sport, Neil, on a Sunday. Um, day of rest, wasn't it? Yeah, but that's, day of rest. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I this was feel that Sundays feel different to me. That could be because we grew up, yeah, in the sixties, seventies, to a certain extent. We were young adults. Yeah. In the eight, in the early eighties. So to me, Sunday feels like a very strange day still. It's it's a day where I feel lost a lot of the time. And I don't know if you ever go to a game on a Sunday. I don't, don't, don't know if anybody else agrees with this, but it feels different. It, yeah, yeah. When you walk into the ground, it doesn't feel like it does on a Saturday. In much the same way as it doesn't, a Saturday uh, a midweek game doesn't feel the same as on a Saturday. But a Sunday game has a different feel about it. I don't know if that's because we don't play very much on the Sunday. What do we play? One or two games? A couple of games for TV. I mean, that's the other thing, really, that's the big difference, is the the inexorable rise of television, pay TV, obviously, 
Um, and you're right. I mean, the, 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 the fixtures on the Sunday are basically organised around the television need to have live sport, you know, uh, filling their schedules. Um, no, I, I agree. Um, this, what I would say about this particular Sunday, the 20th of January 1974, is I, I remember going there um, with some mates from Mottingham and it's, you talk about it feeling different now. This felt totally alien, an alien thing to be doing Sunday morning. Um, you know, you had Sunday service on the railways. Um, so like two trains an hour out of, in our case, Elmstead Wood Station to go to New Cross. Um, everything was closed. Um, and it was a, the bizarre thing was that the because of the restrictions on admission, once you got yourself to New Cross and walked through the quiet streets, things were quiet, kids. Um, you then couldn't, you, you were legally not allowed to charge money to enter the ground at this point. The, the legislation meant that you had to, they'd come out of a ruse that you bought a programme at the turnstile, you paid your money over, and I'm just looking at the front cover of the programme here, Neil Mill versus Fulham. Um, it says admission will be afforded free, so you're getting into the ground free, upon purchase of this official programme, which cost whatever it was, it might have been like 50p back then or something, I don't know. Which will only be available at the turnstile. So you had to, you, you were legally buying the program, which was legal, and then they'd let you into the ground for nothing, legally speaking. Uh, what a ruse, what a strange way of carrying on. Um, you can, but that was how, well, how it was. Can you imagine Lurch now having a flogger program? <laughs> he, his Sunday lunch would be spoiled, wouldn't it? He was liking food and going places. <laughs> In joke for anyone. Anyone's that followed that joke, you'll have to do your research on Millwall Twitter and find out the lurch um, rumours. Um, so yeah, there it was. They the, uh, Millwall was the the first um, game league game to kick off. I think there'd been a couple of FA Cup games the week before. Yeah, there's been a couple of FA Cup. Was it Shrewsbury, Neil, or was it South Grimsby or something? Uh, something like there that? were three or four. Yeah. Actually, quite there was quite a lot. And they and they realised very quickly that it was very popular, and the yeah. crowds were a lot better off, and uh, or they were a lot better off. And I think this is where Millwall were really canny. Mm. I think a couple of weeks after this game, uh, Oxford wanted a players on a Sunday, yeah. and we said yeah. no. <laughs> I'm just looking at the back page of the Sunday Mirror. Um, which features the goal that made history. This is our goal. Uh, Brian Clark scored the winner in the fourth minute. Millwall won Fulham nil. So we've made history by playing on a Sunday. And there, but the, the splash headline nil is Sunday Storm Soccer Chiefs attack. Bloody-minded Millwall. Um, League soccer on a Sunday came in yesterday to unqualified approval, um, but we've managed to attract um, a bitter row with Oxford United because they wanted to play. Uh, our away fixture at uh, the Manor Ground then um, next Sunday, and we've refused. <laughs> Only Millwall, isn't it? Only Millwall. The sub-headline, Millwall grab the fans and then say no to Oxford. Sunday storm. <laughs> oh, dear. Only Millwall can do stuff like this. This would have been uh, Purser back then, wouldn't it? Um, and they made Mickey Purser. a ball story, didn't they, about it? I, he says, Mickey Purser says, um, our gate, 
my emphasis listens our gate against fulham was well up on average fifteen thousand. that was a big crowd back then um but we we don't think sunday soccer should be a regular thing we turned down oxford because of the difficult travel involved for the players and supporters only oxford um also the fact that the players don't like playing on a sunday um <laughs> that was it <laughs> they don't like playing on a sunday there's no further justification. I can't remember. There was a goalkeeper. Uh, I think it was Swindon's goalkeeper at the time. Right. He was a born-again Christian. Right. Or he was a Christian. And he yeah. refused to play on the Sunday. And the quote was, Sundays are for going for a nice walk. <laughs> And going to church, not playing yeah. football. Playing football, I've I've got um, I've got. <laughs> I don't think many many were going for a walk. Looking at this, I've got more of the quote from Mickey. The, the Sunday Mirror um, tailed off Mickey's quote at the um, at the uh, probably a decent moment. The players don't like it, he says, but um, they continue the Derby local press. I think that's the name of the paper. Um, say that the uh, the players don't like it, Neil, because they can't go out on a Saturday night, says Mickey Purser. Um, the crowd today, 15,143, was good because the match was, was a novelty. But I think if there was a full programme, next uh, league programme on a Sunday, the games would be back to normal. So they basically can't go out on a Saturday night if they're playing on a Sunday. They don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> they want to go for their walk in, and go to church. and you know. Yeah, no, let's um, be honest, yeah. A lot of our players back then, yeah. have, uh, they'd have had a skimful in the players' bar <laughs> straight after the game. And then they'd have been out in the pubs and clubs wherever they lived. Yeah. Sunday was a day of recovery, I think, rather than walking through the woodlands with your dog en route to the church. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, but I can't imagine Kitch. <laughs> one, or two of, one or two of them turning down the chance of playing on the Sunday so they could go for a nice church. <laughs> Mill team that day, listeners. This is a classic, classic lineup. I think I could probably recite this team in my in my sleep. This is Brian King and Gold, Dave Donaldson, Alan Dorney, Barry Kitchener, Eddie Jones, a player I'm gonna I've picked out to come back to. Eddie Jones in the back line, then um 442 I've laid out so in the midfield, Dougie Alder, uh Derek Smithers, Gordon Hill, Gordon Bolland, maybe four through three up front, but Brian Clark and Alfie Woods. Um we win the game one nil, a fourth minute goal by Brian Clark, who was an excellent player for us, excellent striker. Lovely um, and I can remember interviewing him about this game and right. him being the first goal scorer on a Sunday. Yeah. And he just couldn't do enough. He, he he loved talking about it. Loved talking about how his little place in history. And of course, you you read that team. I wonder if you get Derek Smethurst, the born again Christian now. To... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, an unpopular man. I remember being struck by the uh, the abuse that he, he took from the crowd on the halfway line, Derek Smethurst. So, um... And I'm from Chelsea. Yeah, that would have gone down well, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but um, in fact, I've picked out three players here, Neil. I've got Brian Clark. Let's start with Brian, as we've mentioned, mentioned him. Um, a very, very good striker for us, and a, a much-travelled striker. I'm reading um, Neil's account in the Who's Who book. He lived in Bournemouth and travelled into training every day from Bournemouth by train. Came up by train every day after being signed for, as a replacement for Barry Bridges 
Another good player, Barry Bridge, another ex-Chelsea player, of course. Um, he soon formed a dangerous partnership with Alfwood and became the scorer of the first ever goal scored on the Sunday against League goal scored on, on the Sunday against Fulham. Um, he's our leading scorer with seven goals during the 75 Division 2 relegation campaign. His father, Don Clark, played for Bristol City. And, of course, Brian famously nil- netted uh, the only goal for when Cardiff beat Real Madrid in a European Cup tie. Cup Winners' Cup, I think it was, wasn't it? Cup Winners' Cup. Yeah, that was um, been after they won the Welsh Cup, yeah. Welsh Cup. Um, Brian worked as a sales rep for a safety equipment company and lived in retirement in Cardiff until his, until his death in 2010. Um, and has actually got a, a road named after him on what does he? Union Park, yeah. Which is he was a favourite player of mine as, as, at this at this point. I mean, I, I wouldn't say you know you, you kind of hero worship some players, but Brian Clark was always a player that I admired. He seemed old. I think he, you know he would have been what nineteen forty three, so he'd been in his thirties, which as a, as a thirteen year old seems like an ancient age, doesn't it? And he, but I think players back then probably looked slightly beyond their years, and they always seemed to be like Alf Wood actually, um, who's, who's his strike partner. They just seemed to be ancient, like like carved out of rock almost, Clark and Wood up front, you know, kind of like chiselled out of granite almost, as a, the impression I had as a kid. Um, but yeah, um, Brian Clark, good good player, 20, 84 games for us between 73 and 75, 20 goals scored. I also picked out Eddie, Eddie Jones now, because I remember well the, the arrival of Eddie Jones and Dave Donaldson, um, who took the place of Brian Brown and, and Harry Cripps. And this was a big thing at the den because it was like um, the, the arrival of these two youngsters as they were then. I think uh, Jones had come from Tottenham, if memory serves. Um, yeah, no, he... And it was like a changing of the old guard, Harry Cripps, you know, the, the kind of image of Millwall, the iconic Millwall player, still is in some ways, uh, being, you know... Uh, pushed out by the, by the youngsters. I suppose it's the cycle of football, but it was there was a bit of a sense of sadness at the at the passing of this, you know, these, these two players. Brian Brown was also well regarded, but Harry Cripps certainly more more so. And Jones was part of the new the new guard coming in. Um, but yeah, playing at, he'd come from Tottenham, White Hart Lane, uh, the FA Cup youth winner in that time. Um, good player. Uh, Plain became a London firefighter after he left the game for injury in '78. I didn't know that. And he actually got invalided out of that, I believe. Did he? Yeah. Did he? He was a good player. He was a good, good. Um, what's the word? Not journeyman, but he was. A, it reminds me of Murray Wallace in a way. That he was a very good limited player. Um, without being disrespectful to him. Um, but yeah, solid, solid player. Same with Dave Donaldson, actually. Another player picked out, 1973 to 80, 264 games. A big figure in Mill Club history, actually, in, in, in terms of appearances. 264 appearances, just two goals. He would sometimes fill in as a goalkeeper, actually, Dave Donaldson. Back in the year of um, no substitute goalkeepers, he, he would be often the the choice to, to, to go in goal, um, which is odd. I, I, I didn't know he was an English schoolboy cap, Dave, and the London School FA. Um, Captain London Schools FA. So um, I think he came from Arsenal originally, Neil. He did. And I love this detail, listeners. After retirement, he was an insurance consultant for Abbey Life before working in the family-owned fish and chip shop. Yeah, no, they did. They owned a fish and chip shop in Cambridge, in Cambridgeshire somewhere. Uh, yeah. And uh, then I think he became a rep for a food company or something like that. Yeah. 
How about that? And there may be one day, um, you know, I'm trying to think, maybe uh, Harry Maguire will, will take on his own his own um, chip shop. Um, Mill won Fulham nil, 1974, the first ever football league game to kick off on a Sunday. Big thank you to Jazz Lion from YouTube, uh, one of his comments for suggesting that. Do give us a shout. If you want to contribute, like um, Glenn, earlier on in the show, listeners, um, it's always good to hear from you. Um, you can you can contact me on Twitter. You can send me a direct message. Or if you want to email me, we can exchange mobile numbers, send over a, a voice note or something. It's always good to have contributions. And it doesn't have to be on a match day. Um, Glyn's one came in yesterday, so I thought it would be great to include it in today's show. But do give us a shout. It's great to have contributions. And I want to say a big thank you. Good to have you back, Neil. Welcome back. Yeah, no problem, mate. Yeah, no, well, I'm always here to deliver you big numbers. <laughs> <laughs> there we are, listeners. Big thank you to you two for joining the show. Let's hope for a win on, on Sunday in the Sky TV game. We'll be back in the aftermath of Sunday's uh, away game, away day visit to, to Coventry. Till then, from Neil and myself, it's Arriva Dirty Millwall. Bye for now. Achtung, Millwall. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.